Heavenly Father, we praise you this morning. We have the privilege of seeing mountains with snow peaks. We have the privilege of seeing fields of gold. Lord, we see birds in the air and animals. There is so much that your creation just speaks volumes of your your creativity and your wonder and your beauty. And we praise you, Lord, when we see a little baby, the miracle of birth. When we look into the eyes of our seniors and we see a life well lived, of faithfulness and trust. And even now as we gather together, Lord Jesus, we praise your name. You have preserved your bride, the church, through hundreds and thousands of years. And you will continue to do that until the day, Lord Jesus, when you return. And until that time comes, we will continue to remember through communion and singing and reading scripture and making much of you, Lord Jesus. May you increase. And now as we open up scripture, I pray that you will illuminate the truths that you have for us and that you will bring comfort to those who need comforting and that you would also bring courage and holy unrest to those who have become too comfortable. We pray all of this with praise and thanksgiving to you alone. In the name of Jesus, amen. You may be seated. There is uh, one way. There is one way to live that is uh, more superior than any other way. A most excellent, a more excellent way. That way is the way of love. Now, it sounds kind of obvious, maybe even trivial. In fact, uh, even the Beatles uh, knew about this. Uh, I googled uh, that song title, All You Need Is Love. And there were 730 million results in my Google search engine un in under one second. In 0.92 seconds, 730 million results for All You Need Is Love. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a runner, and uh, there is an app where runners sort of log their runs and things like that, and we, it's kind of a, a community of runners, cyclists, swimmers. And recently I saw this uh, graphic on um, uh, that, that site. Yeah, it says, all you need is love and a run, maybe a cookie and wine. Now, don't forget the wine. Well, I, I thought that was kind of funny. It's kind of like, yeah, all you need is love. There's that phrase again. But what is love? And who says so? It's interesting to me. Uh, who do you listen to? Who do you listen to when it comes to this subject or any other subject? Who do you give authority to speak into your life? And uh, to be sure, like, uh, is there a reason? What reason do you give in, to allow people authority to speak into your life? And, and let's be clear, just as there is truth, there are also lies. There are lies that 
the enemy of our, our soul is, is saying and speaking. There, the, the world has lies that it tries to advance. If God is the consummate artist, there is also a forger who tries to uh, forge, you know, make a, a lie out of what he has created. Uh, recently, uh, I was reminded of a book that I read a while back called Solar Dance, and it's about uh, Van Gogh. And it was in the time of Van Gogh when forgers were particularly prominent. In fact, forgers were so good that the, they had trouble discerning between the original and the forgery. And the book is actually entitled um, uh, Solar Dance, A Crisis of Truth. And in that book, at one point, there's this poem that reads this way. The real is fake, and the fake is real. And everything is messed up in the pot. And pain is fun, while pleasure brings anger, guilt, or shame. And up is down, when back is front. And the enemy can get us so turned around. For example, we can be thinking about individualism, the idea that you, me, I am the center of things, that I should be thinking about myself, that I'm the center and I think selfishly, but we realize, especially through this pandemic time, that it's actually community that is so vital and important, and individualism is destructive and ruinous. Or how about entitlement, this idea that I deserve certain things, that I'm entitled to certain things. I'm entitled to the whole path, not just my lane. I'm entitled to the whole sidewalk. In fact, I've earned it. I deserve it. That sense of entitlement, which incidentally, there's this uh, sort of an anomaly, this thing about our, the way we think called an idealistic distortion, where we are entitled and we think positively about what we're entitled to and not necessarily the realities of what maybe we are entitled to. And by doing this, we miss the grace and the beauty of our Lord Jesus Christ. But what's most uh, intriguing to me in, on this subject is the definition of love. Who defines love for you? Who defines it and describes it? TV, books, movies, bloggers, YouTubers? How do we know what love is? And we land up with these phrases like, um, this is my lover, or making love. And as though love is synonymous with, get out your pens, L-I-N-E-S-E-X-L-I-N-E. -E -E. And you can read between the lines. We equate love with that. Or we say things like, well, I love it. Or, uh, uh, I, we've, we've fallen in love as though love was a feeling. So, what is love exactly? And who says so? And I want to just remind you that later on we're going to have a time for Q&R, so get your questions ready when that time comes. Or any time during the, the sermon, you can uh, text or email to ask at, ask at westviewchurch.ca ask at westviewchurch.ca with your questions. So what is love? And who says so? Paul, we're going to go to the book of 1 Corinthians, and in there, Paul was writing to the church in Corinth. 
Now, the church in Corinth was a particularly prominent church in Greece. In fact, it is arguably, was arguably more prominent than the city in Athens. At the time of Paul's writing, it could have been up to 80,000 or more in population. At its height, it was 200,000. It was an extremely wealthy city at the time, a major urban center. This is a picture of the ruins of Corinth. Kimberly and I were there uh, a few years back, and this is a picture of it. Of course, now uh, the ruins of it, it is no longer uh, uh, in place as a city. But one of the things that's particularly intriguing about Corinth at the time of Paul's writing, and let's leave this picture up just for a little while, one of the things that's intriguing is the uh, Greek ideals at the time, the ideals the people had at the time. One of those ideals, and, and, and listen to this, one of their ideals was individualism. Another was personal freedom. And another was uh, skepticism uh, with authority. Those were Greek ideals. And as they were forming this church in Corinth, Lots of Greeks and some Jews, the other thing that they were having difficulty with is their understanding and application of spiritual gifts, gifts, skills, abilities that the Holy Spirit gives to them. But what is most intriguing, and you'll see in this, in this diagram, is that they were formed and informed by a particular view and perspective on love. That hill that you see, that rocky uh, between a hill and a mountain uh, type, type of uh, a structure there uh, was, was called the Acrocorinth. And it was basically like a shadow over Corinth. And at the, on that Acrocorinth, that mountaintop, was a temple for Aphrodite, the Venus, the goddess of love. And there were times when there were up to a thousand or two thousand women priestesses there who were essentially prostitutes in the temple on that hill overlooking the city. And eventually, in Paul's day, they began to leave the temple and were in the city itself. In fact, there was a phrase in Paul's day, the phrase was a Corinth girl. And people knew exactly what you were talking about when you said a Corinth girl. This was their way of being shaped and informed by a particular concept of love. And so Paul writes this letter, 1 Corinthians, to the church in Corinth. Thanks for the, the picture there, Slater. The letter, 1 Corinthians, is written to a group of people. It's written to the congregation. In fact, most of the books of our Bible, the content is written to a plural, not to a singular. It's written to a group, a congregation, not to individuals. It's meant for us to hear as a group. And Paul, just earlier in 1 Corinthians 11 and 12, talks about spiritual gifts. And then he talks about the body of Christ, that the church essentially is the physical manifestation, the, the representation of Jesus on earth while Jesus is at the right hand of God. And then he goes into this description of what is love. In 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 to 3, 
He says, if I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. And what Paul is making clear in these first few verses is the priority and the prominence, the superiority of love. And notice in there, he includes some of the spiritual gifts. And he says, even if we have these spiritual gifts, unless we have love, those spiritual gifts are nothing. Love is not a spiritual gift. It is a fruit of the Spirit. It is something that develops from the Holy Spirit. But unless we have love, Paul says, love, without it, even spiritual gifts are essentially useless. He goes on in verse 4. Love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So Paul here is making a real clear, direct definition of what love is and what it is not. <laughs> it reminds me of what accountants do and bookkeepers do. He's making an account of love and he is making sure that the ledger is balanced, both the debits and the credits, what it is and what it is not, so that we can be quite clear about what love is. And so for just a couple of minutes, I'm going to Zoom through these words to give a brief definition, both of the is side and the is not side. And you have something in your bulletin which outlines these words. And so if you are wanting and able to, and if you, you will be able to see that, those of you joining us on live stream, you can write a few of these things down. But I want to zip through here a little bit before we continue to just give you a sense of what these words are. Love is patient. That means that you have an internal and an external control of yourself, even in very difficult circumstances. One of the picture words in Greek for patience is the fuse on dynamite. That fuse. And when you have a very long one, that's a picture word for what patience is. It is control of your emotional state and your physical state when things are very challenging or difficult. Love is patient. Love is kind. Kindness is a giving in terms of action or attention or time to someone, regardless of whether they deserve it, and especially, especially in those cases where they don't deserve it. 
Another word for this is mercy. It is giving something in a sense we might say unconditionally, but a kindness. Love is kind. And it does something for somebody else, not because they warrant or merit it, but simply out of love. Rejoices in the truth. When the truth is upon us, when you see something that is true, there's a sense of joy. We celebrate. Love celebrates. Love dances. Love is joyous, particularly when we are in the presence of and we experience and we witness something that is true. There is a freedom that love brings, a freedom to rejoice. Love bears all things. It means that love puts up with a lot. <laughs> and it puts up with a lot, and it also is a way when we bear all things, we're also at the same time not allowing the travails and the difficulties and the uh, ugliness to seep into our lives. We bear, we put up with a lot, and we also by love plugs the holes and doesn't allow it to come into our, into our lives. Believes all things. That means you intellectually, cognitively accept something to be true. You, you accept it as being fact. This is a great way to start with people. Love believes all things. I begin by believing in you. I believe that you have the best interest in mind. I believe you are true hearted. I start that way. Love believes all things. I believe and I start this way with other people. Hopes all things. We talked about hope, this looking forward to something in the near or distant future that is good. Love hopes all things, endures all things. We persevere. We persevere in the midst of difficulty. Love perseveres. Seniors know this well. Uh, parents or guardians know this well with little babies or children. You endure. You know, this sounds um, idealistic. <laughs> You know, it sounds idealistic, and to a certain degree, it absolutely is. Praise the Lord. Divine love is ideal. But then Paul also talks about what is not. Love is not envious. That's jealous or wanting something that someone else has. I'm reminded of Joseph's brothers in the, in the Old Testament. Love does not brag, doesn't boast, praise oneself, make much of oneself. Love isn't arrogant, that is puffed up. A test for arrogance is who are you willing to associate with and who are you will not willing to associate with and why? That's a test for arrogance. Who are you not willing to associate with and why? Love is not rude. Indecent behavior, social, moral standards, whether it's online or in person, love isn't rude. Just isn't, isn't, isn't rude, doesn't go there. Insist on its own way. Oh, I was reminded a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to uh, someone in our congregation by telephone and we were talking about this and we were talking about all the context that we're in and this person just said, you know, it's true, I believe this and you believe that, and, but we, we love each other and then this person said, and besides, love doesn't insist on its own way. Wow. Right? Talk about speaking into our current environment. 
Love is not irritable, isn't easily provoked, isn't easily come to anger. Resentful. Here's another one. Love is not resentful. Resentful is keeping a record. Making notes, keeping tabs, who did what wrong, and all of that. Resentful is keeping a record of things that have gone wrong. Love, is, love doesn't do that. Wrongdoing, unjust deeds, things that we do. So this is what love is. But who says so? Who says that this is the definition of love? Is it Paul? Do we just take Paul's word? Do we take my word? Is it a preacher? I mean, most of you don't know me that well. Is it, is it me that is saying this? Is it the Bible that is saying this? Scripture tells us that God is love. And that he expressed love most clearly, directly, and profoundly in the life of Jesus Christ. So actually it is the artist, the artist of love, who is the author of love, the perfecter of love. This is in some respects a self-portrait. When we say love is, we could say the Lord is patient and kind. We could take the word love and replace it with the word Lord. It is actually the Lord who is saying what love is. It is a description of the, the way of the word and the one. So love is the excellent way. Love is the Jesus way. They are very interchangeable. In fact, let me illustrate that this morning. I have here, yes, it's actually just water. Uh, normally when I do illustrations, there's some other things involved. But this morning, I actually have just a clear glass of water. I need a drink. Oh, I need another drink. Yep, that's water. How would you describe water? You might say if you were sort of in chemistry or you're in school, you might say, well, it's two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen. And that's true. That's the components of it. But it hardly comes close to a proper description and definition of water. Those are some basic elements. But how would you describe water? Well, it's liquid. It's wet. Um, it quenches thirst. I mean, how would you describe it? You see, the description of water is inseparable from the water itself. There is actually water, the, the object, the, the existential reality of water, but the description of it, its, its makeup, its attributes are inseparable. We can't separate them and have these individual parts. And we experience it. The definition and understanding comes through the experience of taking it in and experiencing the water. But how about this? Even going another step further. I 
I thought I'd, I'd, I'd um, have a controlled fire this morning. I, I had envisioned having a bit more of a fire, <laughs> but I thought uh, better keep it safe. Safety first. How would you describe fire? There is the actual flame itself. That's the existential reality that there is an object. There's heat. Get about that. Ah, uh, well, now I'm here. And actually, ooh, now I need to, now I'm starting to feel it up here. There's heat to it. There's light. You can see it because of the light. And again, this is actually would be a great sort of, um, well, great. It would be a good metaphor and example of the Trinity. The, the existential reality, the heat, and the light. But we can't separate out the heat and the light from the flame itself. It is all together. And that is when we speak of the Lord and love, that is what Scripture is trying to get across to us. That they... The Lord and love are not separable. They are together. And we experience and we understand love through the experience and expression of it. People understand love as we express it. People understand love as we experience it. In fact, there are some times in Scripture when the Writers use this phrase, they were known. There's an intimacy that happens when they are known because of this experience. And so this idea that love and the Lord are inseparable, that love is something that is experienced and expressed. So love then is a person in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and a posture. It is an attitude. And it is particularly other-focused. Love is other-oriented. Kind and patient. Hopeful, believing. It is other-oriented. It is not interested merely in its own ways. This Philippians 2. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but have the other's interests in mind also, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be held on to. So love is an action. It is more of an action than it is something like a feeling or something that we say. Let us love in, not in word or tongue, but in deed and truth, as is written in 1 John. 3.18. Jesus is love. And so where Paul is going here finally in bringing this together is he says that Jesus is love. And if the church, the congregation, is the body of Jesus, the physical representation and revelation, expression and experience of Jesus on earth, then the congregation is meant to be love. This is actually the first line in the vision statement that we have and we're beginning to roll out. We vision that Westview will be 
a diverse people with a deep sense of belonging, united in God's love. That is, God unites us in His love, but we are united in expressing His love as well. We say yes to the divine love. We're united in it. And so we as a congregation become the water. We become the flame for all those that gather here in person and online. And as we go into our communities and our schools and our workplaces, we become the expression, the revelation, the manifestation of divine love. We become what people read and understand who the Lord is and what the Scripture is saying because of the way we love and consider other people. They read us. And we express and experience this love. So it is about relationships to be certain. The way we associate with people and relate to people. Love is how we start with love is patient, love is kind. You notice that in this, what it is and is not, particularly the parts of what it is, how we relate to people is how we begin our relationships with people in the congregation and people outside the congregation. And that's what leads to conversations about Jesus. Uh, our daughter in, in uh, Toronto was talking about some of the um, um, encounters she's having and discussions she's having and some of the people are remarking about her, her character and her attitude and how sort of uh, uh, attractive or pleasant she is. And we were saying, you know, that's perfect because now the next step will be, at times, you'll be able to explain why. So in other words, we lead with love and then when the opportunity arises in relationship, we can talk about Jesus. But we sh certainly should not talk about Jesus if we do not start with love, right? In fact, please, we should take the decals off our vehicles that have all the fish and all that jazz if we aren't living by love first. That's really reckless because the Lord is love. I want to pause for some Q&R this morning. Again, you can text or email to ask at westviewchurch.ca or uh, you're here this morning in person so you can stand up where you are. Uh, and that's been happening more and more as people get comfortable with this idea of, um, of asking questions. So by all means, if you want to, you can even type, if you're on live streaming, you can even type it in the comments section of YouTube and uh, we'll pick it up that way. Um, or text, email to ask at westviewchurch.ca uh, and uh, we'll, we'll take your questions, stand where you are, and we'll take them that way as well. You, you, you have something for us? I do. I have a three-part question here. Okay. <laughs> so, hope you're ready. Sorry. This question begins by asking, is being loving simply trying harder to reflect love? What role does the Holy Spirit play? How much is us and how much is God? Ah, Okay. Really good question. So, is love about trying? Could you read that to, uh, again one more time? Absolutely. Yeah. Is being loving simply trying harder to reflect love? Right. And then the second question is, what role does the Holy Spirit play in this uh, attempt to reflect love? Right. 
And then just another clarification question is, how much is us and right. how much is God? Yeah, very good. So is it about trying harder, you know, to express this love and achieve this love? And what role does the Holy Spirit have and what role do we have? And that, that's a really good question. You know, if we are completely transparent here, when we go through this list, love is patient, love is kind, rejoices in the truth, believes all things, bears all things, hopes all things. Do you sense a need for the Holy Spirit and the Lord Jesus Christ? <laughs> right? That really is glaringly obvious for me. I'm like, oh my goodness. I need the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life for that to happen. We need for Westview to be able to express love this way. We need the work of the Holy Spirit. And so that question brings us to this point. And that's what I mean by the lies and the trickery of the enemy and the world. If we think that we merit God's favor, or if we think that we are good enough, like we look to ourselves and we think, yeah, well, we've got this. We miss the realities of who we are, but we also miss being open and the work of the Holy Spirit. But when we say, love is patient, love is kind, like I, I want that kind of love. We want to express that kind of love, but that kind of love necessarily means the work of the Holy Spirit. And so the next part is, here's the good news. The will of the Holy Spirit is to work and build that kind of love in our congregation. That's His will and His want to do. So then our task is to be open and porous to the work of the Holy Spirit. So when we pray, notice this. When we pray, and what sometimes we pray, be, Lord, be with so-and-so or be with so-and-so. The Lord is already present. So another thing, when we pray and we say, Lord, uh, we pray that you would grant us more love. We pray that you... Actually, His will and His want is to develop this kind of love in our congregation. So then our prayer becomes something different. Lord, I pray for our congregation. I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ that we might be more porous and open and willing to the work of Your Holy Spirit and that we would lay down our selfishness and all of our own self-interest and be willing to take You in fully. Lord, do that work in our congregation because it is Your will to do. And when the Lord, when we pray that in the Lord, in 1 John 15, we, we know, and in other scripture passages, that when we pray in the will of the Lord, we know the request that we have made of Him. Oh, thank you. I, I, I didn't prep that question, by the way. <laughs> but it's a really good one. Mm -hmm. uh, There's a second question here. Uh, do you have any suggestions on moving from individual focuses to people focuses as a follower of Christ. Yeah. Do we have, I have any suggestions for moving from individual focus to corporate or people focus? Um, and what was that last part? As a follower of, of Christ. Follower of Christ. Yeah, this is good. Something that, so I want to uh, talk about this in a, a couple of different ways. Moving from an individual I focus to a we or a corporate focus. This is so good. What in the world? So praise the Lord. So one of the things that I've been talking to uh, Reese about is even in our singing, like the, the enemy is trying to 
ruin, dis- distract, and destroy even inside the church. And we can be individualistic even inside the church. So I'm talking to Reese about this idea of when we sing songs, when we get together to sing songs, the majority of them should be plural instead of singular. It's subtle. It's a nuance. But we should be singing plural songs, not individualistic songs. And when we start coming together in our community groups, in our life groups, start thinking about and using plural phrasing. Like we, what what are we interested in doing? What is it that we are doing? As in in youth or in young adults, in family. I mean, seriously, the scriptures are written to the plural, the congregation, not to the individual. Yes, we are individual, but there is this collective thing. So we think in plural terms and start in these subtle but important ways, start moving from I to we. Yeah. Cool. And that's it for any of the email questions. Okay. Does anyone some, here have a question? Those were some, I don't know, you call them humdingers. <laughs> yeah. Any questions here? Well, let me, let me conclude here. I, you know, the, the question becomes with this description of love, is this, and I'm going to ask the music team to, to come up here as, as we conclude. I Uh, I'll do that. Is this kind of love attractive? Is this something that is desirous? That we want to have this kind of a love in our congregation? That this describes our congregation? Right? This is the Lord's posture. So when you read this, when you go back and read 1 Corinthians 13, you could say the Lord is. The Lord is. The Lord is patient. The Lord is kind. You could use that too to understand this is His posture toward us. This is his posture towards you, regardless of your age, regardless of your gender, his love. This is his posture. And as I was mentioning, it also describes um, the need that we have for the work of the Holy Spirit. And here's more good news, is that the Lord is the one who defines love for us. If we are willing, let the Lord Jesus Christ be the one who has authority to speak into your life, into our lives. Let him be the one that has authority to define what love is. He defines it. He deposits it. And then he develops it. And so then what we do is we show it. We demonstrate that love. We experience and express it. We do that you know, it would be so wonderful as we're, when, when we're in the atrium and we just take a moment before we leave to just greet somebody else, maybe someone that you don't know, and we practice the love that is described here. We say, Holy Spirit, just guide me. I'm a little nervous. I'm a bit of an introvert. I kind of, I don't really, I'm not comfortable with this, but I'm going to do it anyway, and I'm just going to take an extra moment here, and I'm just going to practice love here together in this safe place among the congregation. We demonstrate. If you're married, you demonstrate love to your spouse more than say, I love you. Not in word or tongue, but in deed, and you express it. We express it to our child or to our parent or to our friends, because it's other-focused. We express it and experience it. So as 
you take this bulletin home with you, you'll notice that there's a bit of a chart in there. And in the bottom is this little sort of gauge, one to five. And it asks two questions. How am I doing with experiencing love? And how am I doing with expressing God's love? And just every once in a while, maybe, you know, if there's enough interest, we might make some magnets so that we can put this on our fridges. And just so that every once in a while, and this isn't about us trying harder, but knowing that this is the Lord's will and want to do, we just mark, Lord, how am I experiencing love and how am I expressing love? And then working from there and just every once in a while taking and revisiting this. And next Sunday, we're going to conclude our sermon series on more excellent way with another discussion about love. But it's going to be even different than what we talked about this morning. Why exactly is love even more superior than faith and hope? Amen.